Welcome back to the Garden State Outdoors and Podcast presented by Boondocks Hunting. I'm your host, Mike Nitre. And today we have Andrew Gavron. I said that correctly. Oh, yeah. Perfect. And it, you go by the name of Gavron or Gavron's Wild. Yeah, Gavron's Wild. That's how you can look me up on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, all the all the great social media platforms now. Well, well welcome to welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to get you on. Um, you know what? We're going to hit off real quick. And usually you start with the, you know, the backstory. But real quick, you know, you're you're doing this for. You, we were talking a little bit. So you're basically doing this full full time. You know, you, you're going to be work, you're working part time and everything like that. But you left your your job and you're now picking this up full time. What are some of the difficult difficulties, you know, running a social media platform and hunting and a, a brand? that you, you weren't expecting before getting into it? Yeah, so there, there's just so much that goes into just running any sort of social media platform for a brand. And especially when you're trying to start a brand in the hunting and fishing space, there's just so much that goes into it. Um, but to you know track back a little bit for everybody else that's listening, um, I was working in Midtown Manhattan for quite a few years, You know, just normal corporate jobs, working for FinTech companies, recruiter, auditor, little things like that, just to, you know, have a career and make it how everybody else makes it in this, you know, world, especially in our metropolitan area, New York, New Jersey. Um, but I was going into work every day and I was just, I, after so many, you know, months and months and months of just getting onto a train and going into the city, walking a couple blocks in the rain or whatever, and getting into your building and sitting there with people that, are completely disconnected. They're not the same type of people that you and me are, Mike. Um, they're just, they don't have a grasp on what life is, you know, what uh, our connection with our food, for example, or connection with nature, or connection with anything to do with anything that's not in the city or work related. These people were just so disconnected. Um, you know, they would talk about these great skiing trips that they might go on and things like that. And it was really great, but you're doing one thing a year and you're just putting yourself in this tiny little place, a little apartment in the city, walking over to your job and then working inside these four walls all day, not seeing the sunlight and all that stuff. And, you know, it just got really, um, like kind of emotional for me at a certain point where I was like, this is not it. This isn't what life is. We're not supposed to be caged up like this. Um, I got to do something else that's going to make me happy. So I took time. I really researched it. I talked to my fiance about it and came up with a decent plan to say, you know what? I have enough money that I can set aside for a little while and I can give this a try. And this is what I want to do. I want to try to make it in the social media world, um, start a brand for hunting and fishing. I see so many people that are successful at doing it. Let me give it a try. Um, and it is not easy at all. If you're thinking about trying it, think again, try something else first, you know, like it's not easy. I'm sure there's other people that have had way better success than myself that are just flying through it. Like it's nothing and it's just second nature to them. Um, but for me, that's just not how it's been. Uh, the grind is there and it is just a slow grind. Um, you talked about a lot of people that are big in the hunting fishing industry, for example, like deer meat for dinner who's down in florida he was at it for i think like six or seven years making literally no money and then all of a sudden boom blows up 
and he's a multimillionaire. He's getting boats just given to him for free and things like that. I want to cut of the pie, so I wanted to get into it. Yeah, no, it, it's it's an absolute grind when when you're looking at it, you know, and free before you get into this, you know, you really have to, if anyone's looking to get into this, I don't, it's, I don't, we don't want to discourage you because we want as many people to get into the outdoors and, and everything like that. But, you know, in the beginning, it's hard to grow unless you really, what I noticed, especially on Instagram, YouTube, you got to be posting every day. So that means you've got to be able to get out and get content almost every day. Or if the days that you are getting out, you have to get enough content that's going to last you maybe the rest of the week until you can get back out again. You know, when we're filming our hunts, we have to get enough film, right? And I'm not talking about B film, which you ever, if you guys don't know what B film is, you know, it's, it's the, you walking in, it's, you know, a shot of your bow here, the, the sunset, whatever it is, your main film, your A film, Right. Has to be a deer, bear, turkey, you know, but you have to get a lot of it, you know. And if you're not, unfortunately, if you're not seeing deer, if you're in a state where you you don't see deer, a big deer, whatever, it does get harder. You know, if you're out fishing and at the end of the day, you got to be you got to be pulling in. You got to produce, you know, and it's it's a part of it. You have to grind. So you have no choice but to get out there and do stuff. You know, and it as as much as it sucks, if you are unsuccessful, it's not for hunting. I don't think it's the end of the world if you're unsuccessful. But for fishing, I think it's a little different. You can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. But if you don't catch a fish, it's harder to produce a, a episode versus with hunting because there are so many animals and there are, you know, you can still um, with without shooting a deer you could still video a deer you can video a bear you can video a hawk turkey whatever mm -hmm. it is you know you yeah. can get and i i've even done it you you know you get the little bugs and if they're crowning up your sand like you can film that and it's it's a pretty neat thing you know um so i think so i think it's just in all just an absolute grind and that's just filming you know that's just filming it all you know when we get into the editing these videos have to be edited correctly the podcast oh, you know man. if you're doing podcasts they have to be edited correctly like it's just a world one that you never thought and it does yeah it, it does take you look at almost anybody and it, it takes them some time but then once you do get on you know it, it, it's pretty worth it in the long run yeah i I, I can't agree with you the worth it in the long run yet because I'm not in the long run. I'm just uh, <laughs> my first year in, but I agree with you on a ton of points, um, especially that fishing is actually a lot more difficult to produce a show for than hunting. Um, I could go out and I can still catch five or six fish that I'm looking to make a video about, but if it's not filmed perfectly correctly, whatever the case is, you're out there with a camera that has x battery life and x memory life okay so you're not just going out there and setting up a camera in a position pointing it towards you where you're standing and fishing and just letting it roll all day and if you are send me what you have i need to know what you're using i need to know what <laughs> right, right, you, yeah. you know and it's probably going to be super expensive and uh you know affording that sort of thing always was really tough for me uh getting into this you know you're spending uh you know a few grand on your camera equipment 
that includes your camera, your audio, your stands, your tripods and things like that. Then a really good editing computer. There's another thousand at least that doesn't even go into a little bit of things, you know, like for hunting and everything else like that. Um, it's an expensive, I would almost call it a hobby, an expensive self-filming hobby. Um, and then when you want to get into the editing, like I said, that's even more money. But going back to my point about fishing versus hunting and it being easier to film a series or film an episode for hunting. I mean, people get into what you're doing to attempt to get something um, versus like for fishing, you're attempting to get something and you don't get it. Is that even worth doing versus with hunting, you're attempting to, uh, you know, do a deer drive uh, to a buddy or, you know, you're just going to be hunting this valley, whatever the case is, you're scouting, you can show sign, you could show anything there that's going to have people interested in what you're doing um, versus fishing. If you're just sitting there talking about fishing, it's really not going to work as well as if you're showing them how to do it. Um, so I found that actually my fishing uh, videos are so much tougher to film. They're insanely hard to produce, edit. I dropped like a a $1,500 camera in the, in the water during trout season. And I hate trout fishing. So it just oh, made me that much man. more upset. Oh. Yeah. That yeah. It's not rough. easy, you know, cause, cause you could go out one day fishing and, and have really, really great success. Just per se, you're on a trout stream. I know you like to trout fish. You're on a trout stream. You fish this specific run and you bang five trout in like a half hour. And you're like, awesome, cool, I'm coming back tomorrow, I'm bringing my cameras, I'm gonna have everything set up, I got my audio equipment, and I'm gonna do the same thing, and I'm gonna teach people how to do this tomorrow. Well, you come back tomorrow, and you cannot produce a fish in the same pocket you just produced five fish in the day prior. And it is so frustrating. That's what's so much harder about fishing versus the hunting. You know hunting is difficult because you're going after a mammal that has insane intelligence, that can do anything it wants. It's gonna walk there, walk here. This thing is in a stream that's five foot wide and the pocket's 30 foot tall, whatever, you know, 30 foot long. And you cannot get that fish to hit. And it's so much more frustrating than than hunting for sure. Filming anyway. Fil filming wise, 100%, um, producing content, 100%. But, and I don't know if you've noticed this, filming videos, once they're done, do better than hunting. Um, and for, for at least me and a lot of the people that I know, um, just in the fishing industry, the anti-hunters the anti or anti, they don't crucify fishing like they do hunting, you know? Right. So you have to be very careful with your hunting. You're gonna get a lot more backlash with hunting, but it gets a lot more people. Like most of my biggest videos, have nothing to do with killing a deer they're usually fishing or it's a review for a hunting some hunting clothes like i think our biggest was um our biggest was a one minute clip of our podcast and it's a bunch of guys just um for uncle larry's outdoors talking about fishing and i made a, a quick little clip and that was at like 30 or forty thousand views but then i get a hunting one all well and done, shot pretty well, just kill a deer, maybe a couple hundred views. Then I did a, we, Joe did a Sitka review that 15,000 views, 20,000 views, whatever, you know, the cases, no hunting involved, no nothing. 
but then I do my buck video and I kill a big, you know, a big Jersey buck and, you know, five, 600 views, which is not bad. I'm not, you know, five, so I will take right. that, but still like it, it's just night and day. Like even a, you know, my trout fishing videos, they have way more views because it's, it's not frowned upon. And I think also social media platforms push more of the fishing content than they're going to do of the hunting content. Yeah. And I don't know if you noticed uh, the difference between YouTube and Instagram. A hundred percent YouTube is not going to be pushing your hunting uh, stuff as hard as it's going to push your fishing stuff. And on Instagram, you can put up you pulling the heart out of an animal and showing how great it is that you have this and the process from the second you pull the trigger all the way until that thing is on the plate. Instagram will allow you to do that. Uh, YouTube is going to flag it, is going to take it down, is going to ban you from the platform. And ultimately, you're not even going to have a chance for a career on YouTube if you do the wrong things. You have too many strikes against you. So that's that goes into our editing process. Um, my editing process takes forever to produce a simple like eight to 10 minute long video. I'm super, I'll just call it anal about what I do when I'm sitting here at the computer. Um, I've been working on this same buck video from last November. Right now, I'm trying to finish it, produce it this week. And it is taking just forever because no matter how much you like it, you say, ah, you know what? There's a little bit of blood in that scene. Let's go in, let's darken this up, let's change this, let's do that. Um, you know, because people don't have the uh, mental or uh, what's it called when you're, they get distracted so easily. You get distracted so easily by the next video. You just want to move to the next thing. So if it's not fast enough, it's not catchy enough, if it's not quick enough, these people are just going to move right by it. And that's frustrating for me. And it's frustrating for you. Like you said, you got this great deer on video. The second that you pull the trigger and the person knows that you got that deer, they're going to swipe to the next video and not even wait for to see it, nothing like that. And that affects your percentages on your videos. If you, for people who don't know, if you produce a video, you publish it, and you get 100% view on that video, meaning that, Mike, you view my video, it's a 10 second long video, and you view the entire 10 seconds, that means I got 100% view for that uh, video. But if you only view 20%, that means that they don't want to push it as much. So if it gets 110% view or 100% view or 90% view and keeps on going with that um, consistently throughout the day, it's going to push your video more and more and more because that means people want to watch it. And if it only gets 20%, then it's not going to get pushed. Um, and that's just one of the frustrating things because I spent no time whatsoever to produce a 30 second long video, put it up on social media, and it gets thousands and thousands of views because it, it, it's natural, it's normal. But then I edit a video, it takes me three, four hours to edit it, it's the same length, it gets no views. And it's not because of anything I did or anything you did, it's just because people didn't find it uh, catchy enough right in the beginning and they decided to swipe off of it. That's probably the most frustrating part about long form content for myself. Um, and it's definitely pushed me to be more on the YouTube shorts, Instagram reels, short stuff that's less than 60 seconds, has to be like less than 35 seconds for most people to actually want to view it. Um, so I, I really want to be in the long form more, but people just, they don't have the attention span for it. It's it's definitely frustrating because I've, I've noticed that as well. Um, yet again, my shorts do a lot better, but the one thing I don't like about shorts 
is it's for your phone basically. And so when you do film, you know, like we're, we're doing, we're filming with, you know, your main camera, you know, your GoPros, maybe your tactical, whatever you're filming with, you know, it is a wider image. So then when you put it onto the phone, it has to, it has to fit in the phone. It's like, that's so frustrating because, you know, now you have to re-edit it. Maybe you have to change something or maybe it misses something that you, you wouldn't normally. So it, it that's, that's the frustrating thing about short, but that's what makes short so great is because 20 seconds, 30 seconds, you know, the attention span the, and the attention span of, you know, people now with, because everyone has a phone and everything like that is so small and limited. Yeah. You know, if right away you have to get something that is going to catch them and bang, you want it as quick as possible because, you know, if not, scroll scroll right up and you know yeah. it's it is a it is a frustrating thing but you know it it's a part of the grind and you know it it's a just a challenge that you know we gladly accept and hopefully you know we can overcome right i totally agree that i just i don't have that same mentality that other people have about like sitting there on their phone or you know watching youtube videos i could watch an uncut angling video from like eight years ago a hundred times like i love this guy he's got great content he he teaches you something and he produces this really awesome fish or maybe he produces like a decent fish or something i can go back and rewatch that video 10 20 30 times but somebody for some for some reason now it's i saw it one time and i don't ever want to see it again so that video that you produced gets pushed for 24 to like 72 hours. And then after that, it almost gets like wiped off the face of the earth. Um, and like you said, very frustrating to have to deal with. But um, yeah, it, it's just it's difficult overall to try to make it in this industry. I would really love to figure out more. I want to get sponsored by companies and and things like that so I can get into the affiliate marketing and, and ways to actually make money. Um, it's very difficult when you're not making money working on a video for, like I said, 20, 40 hours to produce a 10 minute long video. It's very frustrating when at the end of it, you get no dollar value back, except for the amount of views that you're seeing in front of you and the hope that that's gonna turn one day into something. Um, very frustrating, but it's part of our process. It's part of your process. I don't know if you work full time and do this on the side or if this is your full time gig, but uh, regardless, either way, it's it's tough. Yeah. And now this is, I work full time. I, I've made it so that my schedule kind of works out in my favor, uh, but I still work full time hours. And this is I do this full time without, you know, <laughs> it's a full we, we have this joke, with, you know, with a bunch of the guys that uh, we talk to on a daily basis and kind of work with it. It's a full time job without the full time benefits, you know, um, so and, and, and which is another thing you come out with. And I will 100 percent say this, you come out with great content. You know, from fishing, you know, the, especially the fi I love the fishing. That's what you're you've been doing now since hunting season. So, you know, just the fishing content alone. I mean, the catching, you know, the cooking too. You know, one of your posts from oh, um, yeah. from right the wild game, and you put I'm looking at it right now wild game every day. Like that all looks incredible, but you know, the fishing from the you know the lake trout you know, to, um, or Lake, Lake Sam, Sam, uh, what the hell are they called? Um, landlocked salmon. 
landlocked salmon cheese brain fart there you know um, to ice fishing um bass yeah. fishing you know hike whatever whatever you're doing you know it's 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 incredible you know and then once you get to hunting season the grind and everything like that of hunting you know it is great content it's all put together it's it's putting in you know the due time where you know you got to look at it this way it's 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 going to pay off you know as as sometimes as frustrating it is and you know same thing with me it's like all right like it's going to pay off like relax we we got this the more you talk to sponsors and when you stuff like that it's definitely going to help but you know it's the best thing you can do is just not sit on the couch and go out and do (laughs) something and then you know when you are sitting on the couch at least edit you know do something you know make a post whatever the case is do something to 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 better the brand and everything like that basically but um for sure. Yeah, it, it, it's all it's all grind, people. It, it is. It's a serious grind. But, you know, let's let's get into, you know, tell us a backstory, how you got into hunting, fishing and, and everything like that. You know, give us a little backstory. How old were you? Things like that. Of course. Yeah, I'm going to definitely do that. I also I'm going to bring this into like the food aspect that you brought up. Um, really love turning some of something that I've harvested into food. But so to start off with your question about how I got into hunting and fishing, I was 13 months old and I caught my first fish. It was a lady fish. I was in a stroller. Obviously, I don't remember this. I'm telling you this through stories and pictures that I've seen and stuff like that. But my dad is super addicted to hunting and fishing growing up. Um, at this point, in, at his age, he's not really into hunting and fishing as much. He just doesn't enjoy waking up early to go out and do things and the grind of like dragging a deer up a hill and then down a hill and then up and you know things like that but um yeah so i started at 13 months old uh fishing you know as as early as you could possibly start with fishing all local stuff until i was probably six to ten years old um and by local i mean trout fishing bass fishing, sunnies, that sort of thing, all around my house. I grew up in Pompton Lakes, New Jersey, this small town in North Jersey, and tons of rivers, streams, lakes, and things around for me to go have fun with all the time. Um, And about 10 years old is when I really started getting into saltwater fishing, tons of uh, Florida fishing, because my grandparents lived down there. Uh, That was really fun, catching redfish, drum, snook, all those sorts of things. Groupers going offshore, that stuff. Um, and then by the time I was in high school, um, my dad started bringing me out tuna fishing and shark fishing. And I was at 13, 14 years old. I was hooking into 200 pound tuna and passing them off because I wasn't even big enough to, to hold the rod, just barely holding on for dear life and passing off these amazing, amazing fish and going every single week for probably the entire summer every year of high school. And that really got me into the fishing scene. I started working on some fishing boats, um, working on some striper boats and things like that. Um, but to translate it over to, to hunting, I started hunting when I was uh, 13, 14 years old. Um, and this was gun hunting only back then. And it was always super cold. I never remember a day where it was nice out. I only remember days where I was freezing to the point that my toes felt like they were coming off. My fingers felt like they were about to fall off. Um, but I don't know if you remember this guy from, uh, I think it was like Dual Survival, Cody Lundin. He always would travel just in his socks or barefoot. And one of the lessons that he taught was about your mitochondria, training your mitochondria in your, your bloodstream, your, in your cells and stuff. 
Um, the more you expose yourself to cold weather and things like that, the more your mitochondria understands what its job is to do is to keep you warm. And for whatever reason, I kept that going from the time I was a teenager until now. I don't care how cold I am. I'm going to rock out and keep it going. I'm going to do what I need to do and get that deer or sit there and wait or hold the bow with freezing cold hands while that deer's walking in. I was just telling my fiance a story about that the other day. Your fingers feel like they're going to fall off. And you're just waiting for this animal to come walking. And it's so primal. It's so like natural. Um, so yeah, 13, 14, super into deer hunting, love gun hunting, uh, shotgun, muzzleloader, that sort of thing. Get a doe one year. The next year I, I get six deer. The next year I get six deer. The next year I get six. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm into this. I'm really loving this. And then I figured out that bow hunting was a warm weather sport. And I can enjoy myself and not be in total pain while I'm out hunting. And I just took that and ran with it. So got my bow hunting license. I was 15 or 16. And I just started going out by myself and sitting in the woods all day and just really enjoying it. And that's where my hunting skills really came in. All of a sudden, I look over to the left and there's just a big buck walking in. The whole time from 13 to 16, I did not see bucks. I mean, like maybe like one a season or something like that if i was lucky um that's just part of gun hunting here in new jersey gun hunt gun season doesn't start until like december 1st and it runs through to you know the beginning of february and during that time bucks aren't really up on their feet moving the same way that they are during the rut and bow season um so it was frustrating not seeing any bucks and my dad would get one every once in a while my uncle would get one every once in a while and i wouldn't even see them um, but then as soon as bow season started, as soon as I started bow hunting, holy crap, I went out on the most ruddy day I've ever had. That was like one of the first days of bow hunting I ever had. I probably saw more deer bigger than anything I've ever shot in one day chasing this one group of does around my stand all day than I have my entire life. And uh, I didn't get any of those deer. I did take a shot. You know, it's like young hunting. There's, I don't know if you know any movies that are about like little kids who are first getting into hunting. They're shaking like crazy. They click. They didn't even load stuff into their gun. You know, that's how it was for me. Just figuring it out, um, you know, boots on the ground, doing the work. It was never for me about uh, being the best bow hunter. I wanted to have just a really great interaction and a relationship with the deer that were in front of me. Um, and this is something I did want to talk to you about was your relationship with individual deer. I notice when I go onto your social media, I see that you're talking about Mufasa and this guy and that girl, whatever. I am not into that. I don't do that. So let, if you don't mind, can I get your take on you chasing a single deer? Um, I wish it was a single deer. Uh, it's multiple. It is multiple deer. Like, yeah, Mufasa is is one, and then there's Kong, and these are a few public land deer that I have my eyes set on. I like setting goals, and that's really what it is. I like the the intel that I collect during the off season and the intel that I gain during the season and interactions with these deer. It's I tell people all the time, hunting is a game of chess, you know, and it's who's going to make the first mistake first, right? And if I make that mistake, game's over. If he makes that mistake, game's over. So that's why, like, I, I do love to target specific deer. Moose, the deer that I killed last year, that was a specific deer. And I'm a big analytic guy. You know, I was on the um, 
Whitetail Bloodline podcast um, recording yesterday. And that's a big, you know, we were talking about that. Like I'm a huge analytics. Like I am a, I'm a more of a conservative hunter. Um, and, but I am working on getting a little more aggressive when I need to, I'll be aggressive when I need to. And that's, that's a part of it. Like if I know, you know, Mufasa is most likely to be on that ridge when I, when I need him, when the wind correct and, and everything like that, I will get aggressive and I'll go, I'll go hunt him. Um, it's just this this cat cat and mouse game kind of, and who's going to make the first mistake? I get obsessed over it. Um, I think a little some, I can't say a little too obsessed because Andrew, um, he he gets full blown like he will only hunt like one. He will go full bananas after after one deer. But I don't know. It, it's it's really just like I said, the cat and mouse. You you grow this kind of. They they don't grow it, but we grow this kind of like relationship with with these specific deer where it's like that's that's the deer that I want. Like I see him in the off off season growing his velvet, and I'm like, that's it right there. Let me let me go after him. But don't get me wrong, a good looking deer steps out that I've never seen before. Best believe, like I am gonna you know I'm gonna take I'm gonna take that deer because these old mature deer they've been around for some time and there's a reason why they've been around. So, you know, I, I'm also not going to pass up, you know, an opportunity to smack one down and my does tell people my does are for my does. That's where I get a lot of my meat from, you know, I can go out and shoot two, three, you know, if I really need to four five, six, if my freezer's getting, you know, it's the benefits of hunting New Jersey. So I don't also mind, you know, passing a lot of deer just because of of that reason you know opening day opening weekend hopefully i'll have you know my my doe out the way boom that's that's brand new meat to the freezer if i need to add more you know boom you know we got the bear hunt coming back up i still have some bear meat but you know we're looking for some more more bear meat there with the with the bear season so there's always a chance of having plenty of meat and you know just like you you know you got fishing you, you're doing all these different things so your freezer is you know, it's going to be diverse. So like for me, it gives me less, it gives me more of a reason to pass on, on certain deer. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I love filling the freezer. It's such a great feeling, man. Such a great feeling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so no, I, definitely. I just, um, I, I was like you, I was, you know, or Andrew, you're talking about Andrew Fitzgerald, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he, I was a lot like that when I was younger where I would just have a goal set in mind that I'm going to shoot this one specific deer. Um, I would have, I ran a bunch of cameras. I loved running cameras and you know, this is before cell cameras and this is when you were driving an hour to go check in one direction. And I was 17, 18 years old, like barely enough gas money to put in the truck, but I'm going to go out there and I'm going to put down some corn or I'm going to put down some feed and I want to see these deer, you know, a month before the season, two months before the season. Um, but I, I, no matter how many pictures I would get of these deer, how hard you would hunt, you really wouldn't see the deer. Um, it's, it's kind of what was happening with me. And I get it. A lot goes into it. You know, wind direction, time of day, moon, whatever you want to say. It is so difficult. I don't know if you're in North Jersey, Central Jersey, South Jersey, but Northern New Jersey is so difficult because everywhere you go there's hills valleys pinch points everything like that and the wind is never consistent for more than five minutes yeah yeah i'm, I'm a north i'm a north jersey guy we'll be more down 
South Central, I guess, this this year too as well. But I'll still be hunting North Jersey, and it is um, it it is definitely a challenge. It's very thick. I love those thick swamps and everything like that. Um, but it, it's it has its own challenges in its own, and then you have to remember private too, you know. And those deer, if you're hunting public and you're those deer are going to be on private as well. And that makes it another challenge. I've noticed some of my, some of my public spots, I run the difficulty is they are the older mature ones. They're on private and they will move into public at night or early morning when they know it's safe. Because yet again, like I said, these mature deer, they're mature for a reason. They're big for a reason. They yeah, know what they're doing. They know how they know how to survive and everything like that. Um, so it's a uh, it, it's it's a challenge. It really is. I will definitely agree. This will be my first time down, you know, below past North Jersey. So I'm gonna I'll be able to give more intel okay. on on what it's like hunting. And I do want to hunt like South South Jersey if I if I get a chance. Um, hopefully, I'll be in the Midwest and everything. This it's not this year, next year, but um, you know, it's. There, there are tons of challenges, and I definitely agree. That's why North Jersey is definitely very diverse, and Jersey alone is a diverse state. You know, you're hunting, you know, you got basically every type of topography, geographic, you know, outposts that you can really look at. Yeah, I, I got into South Jersey last year. I hunted uh, Wharton State Forest. It was really awesome. Um, I want to go back this year for sure and give that a try uh during gun season it turns into an absolute shit show i just took a drive there i drove through and it was literally i'm not even kidding people in buses like a bus so it must be like drive drives of like you know 40 60 guys getting together and a, they rent a bus and they drive to a spot and they unload some people and then they drive I've never seen that before. I've heard, I know it's like that in other states, you know, North Carolina doing deer drives with dogs and, you know, other states, just 30, 40 guys. This is the first time I had seen actual people uh, getting dropped off in buses and things like that. So I found that to be pretty interesting. Right. It's, it's wild. But down there, the, the wind was consistent. It was really nice uh you know you can get set up where you think the deer are going to be coming out from in front of you and as long as the wind isn't blowing in that direction when you get set up it's most likely not going to change for an hour two hours three hours versus any of my spots in north jersey i'm sitting there for 15 minutes and it's blown 10 different directions it is not consistent it's very difficult so that's a lot of the reason that i got rid of running trail cameras like crazy um you know you have it on a tree you're pointing it at a trail and for whatever reason the deer doesn't walk in front of the trail camera you you know why because the deer can do it and if whatever it wants it wants to go left around that tree today it decides to go left around that tree today i get it you can put it in a spot that no matter what it's got to go in front of that camera there has been so many times that i've set up a camera within eye eye distance you know eyesight of my stand and i'm sitting in my stand and i watch a deer go behind the camera for whatever reason it was about to go in front of the camera and it decided to go behind the camera you know what that means every single time that i sit there and i look at a picture on my camera it it's a fluke you know like there's no reason that that deer could have went this way or that way so i got rid of my cameras um when i was 18 and all through college i really didn't run as many cameras and only over the past like year or two 
I've started running cameras again. And the only reason I'm running cameras as compared to you is to say, are the deer going to be there when I need them to be there? Not are not is Mufasa going to move through uh, at this wind at this specific time or whatever the case is. I'm simply looking for activity. I don't care if there are five deer on camera and one of them's a giant buck or there are 30 deer on camera and none are bucks. I care about the fact that there are deer in the area. I know it's a deer area. I, I, I'm going to have a chance to go there and see deer and get action. Like you mentioned before, you want to fill your freezer. That's why I do it. I, I, I'm not into having relationships with animals. I'm into, you know, this is, this is God being put in front of me and I'm having the, the chance to harvest something that's going to nourish my family and, and, support my family for you know weeks months to come so that was in in college i really started getting that mentality of caring more about the animal and caring less about the sorry bullshit part of hunting which is i need to show this deer off i need to be worried that this deer is a two and a half or a three and a half or a four who cares if it's a trophy to you that's what's good enough that's that's all that matters is it, does it get your blood going do you have a crazy adrenaline spike? And if you don't have a crazy adrenaline spike, that's fine. Maybe you just really enjoy it for other reasons. I cannot get out of my head the first time I ever shot an animal. I don't think I stopped shaking. I'm still shaking. You know, like it's the most wild adrenaline dump it, it, to have this animal coming in and looking at you as it's coming in and then looking down to do its thing and then looking at you. You make one small move you move your pinky you smile you open your eyes and close your that deer from 40 50 yards away can see can tell what's going on knows what's happening understands what's happening at times doesn't understand the time and all you have to do is make sure that you put the correct shot in that animal to make sure that they expire quickly and that you can harvest that animal and be successful um so that's a lot of the reason i got rid of the cameras because i wanted to have a more natural interaction with these animals you know per, you know per, perfectly said i mean multiple things to say about what you said is one trail cameras and we, we talk about this a lot they're great but so much they're they are very misleading you know as at the end of the day like you said they can use the trail behind they can do this they can do that so there it's trail cameras are not the end all be all right first second and i love how you said you wanted when i get to a new spot that's what i do is what you do i want to know that there's just deer here i don't care about finding a specific deer honestly i'm really looking for does right and that's that's what like i'm really looking for does to begin with um i have my doe spots i have my you know my big buck spots um but as long as i have does that's yeah. all i need Right. For, for many reasons. One, for, for me. Two, who doesn't like I, I just love having deer around. Oh, yeah, so it totally. always makes me happy. So and, and, you know, I love just seeing you learn a lot just from watching just deer, you know, yeah. does, nanny does, like even younger. You just learn a lot. You know, if, I, if I'm going to go out and say right now, you know, there's deer out here. I have my camera. I get the video of them. Right. I get to look for myself at, you know, their, how they interact when they don't think a predator is around. And then 
if I need to go back at this, look at the film, now I get to study it in a different angle. Like, okay, damn, I, mi- I, I missed that. Like, I must have, like, maybe I moved my head. Maybe I was focusing on one other deer and I didn't see that, you know, that deer in the back, you know, and how it was interacting w- with the rest, you know. Um, and then, you know, of course, if you don't have does, I mean, if you have does and don't have bucks, don't worry. Because then during the rut, when things start hitting off that pre-rut, right. you are going to have bucks that are coming in. You're going to have all different age class of deer. You're going to have your young ones. You're going to have your immature. Yeah. You're going to have that little spike that, you know, he's he's getting all ready. Then you're going to have your your two and a half year olds, your three year olds. And then you're, you're eventually, whether you're in, in that spot or not, you're going to have your very mature four, four year olds plus deer, you know, with all different sides, all different, whatever, whatever gets your heart racing. So and like you said, some people may not get that huge adrenaline dress, rush. And there's a different reason for they do it. Maybe it's just for food, right. maybe whatever the case is. Whatever gets you to that spot, then you're going to make your decision on, on what you need to shoot. You know, and social media has kind of pushed this agenda on we need to shoot big deer. And don't get me wrong, right? Shooting big deer is great, right? But cool. it doesn't, it's your tag, it, it's your, it's a goal. Right? If you are someone who's going to stick by that goal and you eat a tag soup, Listen, I'm I'm a full believer. Listen, that's okay because at the end of the day, I tell people you're not you're not paying for my tag. You know, you're not investing the time that I'm investing in. So if I decide not to kill a buck because you know what, I know what else is out there, and I want to, I'm chasing a certain thing. I'm always trying to improve from the year before. You know, so whether that's me upping a bigger deer or shooting two bucks next year, that is at the end of the day, that's a that's a improvement and that's a, you know, a new goal, you know, um, I'm a huge believer. If you're in a slump and bow hunting is all about confidence. And I had to do this a few years ago. I was having terrible luck with shooting big deer and I, I shot a few and I just could not find them. So what I did, my confidence was gone when it came to shooting bucks. I could still shoot does, but for some reason, the buck fever, you know, the shakes, my mind would just go blank and I'd make stupid decisions. So when I was like, all right, let me go back. And this nice six pointer came out, nothing crazy. We're not looking at it. You know what? I, I smoked him, smoked him. And I am extremely proud of that deer, like extremely proud. Like I was like, ah, and you know, I, at first I was like, damn, I wonder what people are going to say on social media. But then I was like, you know what? Who gives, who gives a rat's ass what people say on social media? I posted that deer. And, you know, I, I give my followers, I give my friends, I give, you know, the people who, who I interact with, you know, they are some of the best because there was not one bad comment. Said. And, you know, it could have been said behind my back, but whatever. I You're always going to get that no matter what. But everything was was great and respectable where that shows somebody else. Okay. Well, he shot a smaller deer. You know what? I could shoot a smaller deer too. And yeah. you know, Hey, and if, if you're somebody who shoots a smaller deer and there are people and we've said this, if people are giving you shit, send us the pictures, DM us, let us know. Cause then we're, don't worry. We'll, we'll go and we we'll will support you. Hey, you oh, will yeah. support you a hundred percent. I will post you on my page. I, I don't, mm-hmm. don't care. It's about the joy. It's about, you know, I, it doesn't matter whether it's the biggest deer in the world, whether it's the smallest deer in the world. It's all about getting out, enjoying what we do. Um, shoot whatever. 
eat it, you know, it tastes amazing. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, like I, I, I'm there's so, and there's there's so many different recipes, you know, exactly. and there's an endless. Yeah, there's an endless amount of things. I mean, that that you can do, and you know, it's if you're one of those people who are hard hardcore that you know they take the you know the the hide and everything. There's so much you can use in in animals. It's it's truly amazing. No, I agree with you. I actually did on on the topic of shooting smaller deer and getting shit for it. I uh, I shot this actually really nice four pointer going back like a couple years ago, and I grunted this deer in. It was an awesome hunt. He came charging in, all bristled up, ready to go. Whacked him. Really great tracking job by me and a couple of friends. It was a lot of fun. Like a really 10 o'clock at night, finding a deer, no blood kind of thing. It was really great. A lot of fun. Um, I sent that picture out to a couple of people. The only person that gave me crap was my own cousin saying something about it being like... (laughs) A young deer like a one and a half or a two and a half year old deer and i was just like i'm not even responding to your message you know like you just you got to kind of block <laughs> the hate out with the, the hunting community even your own family sometimes um but something you talked about earlier was um deer movement and buck movement just wanted to touch on that real quick and that's another reason i don't go too nuts during the summertime scouting um for specific deer yeah i get it like you can get an idea of what's in this whole general you know 20,000 acre area, you know, a few miles by a few miles area, you know what the general population looks like. If you show up at a field, I see you at fields all the time looking at these, you know, 20 bucks all on one field. You think that they're all going to be there in a month? Hell no. They're not going to be there at mid-September. The second that corn gets whacked, they're out of that field. They're back into the woods. And I noticed a lot of times the bucks, they just, they have a summer pattern they have an early fall, they have a mid-fall, late fall, early winter. They change their location based on what's happening in the world, and uh, they do not stick around. They don't at all. So that's uh, that's just something I wanted to talk about was just overall buck movement. They're, they move. So all these great pictures I was it's, having during the summertime, yeah. they ain't there. Yeah. They ain't there. This one specific spot, I got to say this, this one specific spot that I hunt, I set up a camera in July or ju- late June. Camera is there for a full month. I don't even get a picture. And I'm just like, there's something wrong with the camera. Let me go out and check. I go out and check. Camera's fine. Okay, it's working. Head home. Literally a whole nother month goes by and I've had one picture of a group of bucks come through. I decide, you know what? I'm going to let this this just rock out. I'm not even kidding. Like clockwork, October 2nd, all of a sudden, every day, the same groups of deer are on camera. They weren't there within miles for the entire summer and all of a sudden this you know october 2nd comes the fall comes and they are there every single day working a different food source and uh i just found that to be so interesting to not want to have to go scout all summer to find these deer and think that they're going to still they're not you got to find deer when they're going to be able to be hunted so in october you know say the season starts october 2nd I might be out there from September 28th to October 2nd every single day scouting, trying to find those deer. I'm not going to be out there in July and August trying to find the deer that I'm going to hunt in October because they're probably not going to be there. Uh, listen, I, I definitely agree. Um, once they once a deer turn hardhorned, those patterns are, are going to completely change. You know, every everything does change, you know, and that's why those bucks that, that you're talking about where – 
we're hoping to to kill at least one of them within that like first week or two. You know, things are going to change. Those bucks are going to move out. There's going to be new bucks that are gonna that are gonna move in and stuff like that. You know, you to learn your prop, learning the area, it takes time. You know, and uh, we're we're doing a podcast. I can't remember what's here right now, um, but it's stuck with me ever since he goes, when you pick up a new piece, a new property, new public, whatever it is, he goes, it takes a good five years to really learn that property through and through, you know, and learn that new area through and through because there's so many different scenarios. And like you said, you, they have a Southern pattern. They have, they have what I call the, the early hard horn pattern. They have the fall pattern. They have the rut pattern. Then they have their their post rut, and then you know their winter pattern, which usually does go back to their 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 early yeah. their early season Easy. pattern. But you but you do have like five different patterns that we at least know of, that we know of, that you know. There's always something new to learn in the whitetail woods, so there there's going to be reasons that we have no idea why deer hit certain areas and, and stuff like we may think we know, but at the end of the day it's they are the survivalists they know what they're doing you know um and then hunting pressure you know as at the end of the day we could be doing certain stuff but we don't know if the the next person is you know you don't know what the next property is doing you know so yet again that's that's a that's a whole other factor too as well you know um so that i i definitely agree with you um on that and it's it's something it's these are all good learning lessons for 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 people out there to hear the other side of it too to to understand why you don't do certain things and why you do certain things everyone has a different style and that is yet again the cool thing about what we do is there's so many different styles and everything like that to do things as well as well and i and i just want to say like to everybody that's listening you, you shouldn't be knocking somebody else based on their style unless they're doing something that's illegal or frowned upon in this industry in this world that we're in you know like for example you're not a great fisherman if you go out and you toss a snag hook and just start snagging fish and catching fish all day it doesn't make you a good fisherman you're still catching fish but you're not going to be looked at as a great fisherman same with hunting you know if you're a good hunter it doesn't matter if you sit over corn all day in the same fucking stand or if you're moving around spot and stalking and tracking deer, you know, with hoof prints in the leaves, you know, like it doesn't matter what you do. You shouldn't be knocking what somebody else is doing unless they're not kosher. They're not doing the right things. You know, they're coming in at sunrise and blowing out your spot and sitting 20 yards away from you. You know, like that. that's part of public land hunting. You deal with idiots you're going to make a mistake. Somebody else is going to make a mistake. Maybe together your mistakes turn into a deer, you know, that's just how public land hunting is. Um, So one of the things that I did want to mention as well was just why my connection with deer changed when I got to about college age. Um, I had a little bit of a, like kind of a tumultuous uh, upbringing at my house, you know, family getting separated, divorced and things like that. And I had to, leave my house one day i had to make the decision to say i need to move out i'm going to live on my own just to be able to make sure i have a safe you know upbringing and shit like that um and on the day that i decided to leave what do i do i pack my crossbow in the back seat i throw my hunting clothes in the back seat and one backpack filled with all of my belongings so pretty much my truck is filled with my hunting stuff and a backpack with my stuff 
Um, I go out into the woods and I have maybe like two hours to hunt and I literally am not expecting anything. I go out and I sit in my stand and, you know, just that's where I found God. That's where God came to me and said, hey, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. It's not that I heard a voice coming from a tree and, in, you know, it, I'm not some something crazy, right? I had the biggest deer of my life up to that point come walking down the trail an hour and a half, two hours before nighttime for no reason and walk within 10 yards of me and say, go ahead, everything's going to be fine. Just do it. And I, and I got to shoot and harvest this amazing buck. And that for me was just a way that God spoke to me through the hunt, through the animal and things like that to say that your life is okay. Everything is going to be fine. So I decided from that point on to really care more about the animal because I didn't just see this animal as a, a, just a deer with four legs to walk through the woods. I saw this as a really like a, almost like a spiritual connection, just that animal being there. Um, so I decided I wanted to start harvesting as much of that animal as possible from nose all the way to tail, everything in between. I started eating the heart. I started eating different organs, trying things that I would normally not try. And my love for the animals and for the hunting and for food and everything really came out. So I've been cooking up some amazing meals, probably a thousand different ways to cook venison, moose and everything else in between. Uh, I got to do a great moose hunt this year and the moose pot roast that I made after, out of that brisket was out of this world. It's so amazing. And it just makes you want to do it more. makes you want to harvest this stuff more. Um, but doing it, at the right speed, not just going out and shooting 20, 30 deer, you know, shooting what you need, harvesting what you need for you and your family to make sure that you don't have packages and packages sitting in the freezer for a few years that eventually get thrown out. Um, so that respect, that love, that balance for the animal really kind of shined through in my early 20s. And I've just been holding on to it ever since and just, you know, making love to the process is, is the way that I think about it. I love going out. I love doing it all. I love, you know, just being out there at one o'clock in the, I'm waking up at one o'clock in the morning, driving an hour, hiking an hour, setting up a stand in the middle of the dark, in the middle of the woods that I, I don't even know where the hell I am just because I like the sign that I've been seeing and tossing it up and sitting there all day and not seeing a damn deer going back the next day, not seeing a damn deer, not going back Three weeks later, all of a sudden, I harvested the first doe out of the area. And you're just so happy, you know. It's just like, thank you. Thank you for, for doing this for me. You know, like, the whole process from the second that I got my bow to the second that I pulled that trigger and then that deer is in my belly, it is such a respect-driven process that I want to show my friends and my family. So I've gotten them all into it. I've gotten as many people as I can into hunting and into fishing and I really dislike the idea of people being like solo or I'm a solitary hunter, you know, meaning like I only hunt by myself. You know, that's not, I mean, maybe it's cool to you, but it's not cool that you're not showing people what this is. Like if you have something great to show people, I believe that you should be sharing it. You should be sharing this insane addiction that you have with people like that. Just to put it bluntly, it's an addiction. It's not easy to shake. I mean, I, all of a sudden it's August and I'm like, my entire room is just blowing up with bow equipment and targets. And sh sh I want to show people so much so that I'm willing to just take them out when they want to go and do it how they want to do it. 
Um, I know that my fiance doesn't love to wake up early in the morning. She doesn't like to be out in the woods when it's dark out. And I'm not even kidding. The very first time I brought her, we got a deer together. You know how many times you sit in the woods, 10, 15 times before you get a chance at a deer. This is one oh, day. Yeah, that's, that's just how it goes. That's amazing. That's, and, and that's, and that's exactly like, that's exactly how it goes. Like you, you have no idea what's really going to happen, you know? And that's why, you know, we say over here, we're chasing the unknown, you know, because at the end of the day, when you step into those woods, you don't know if you're seeing a spike, you don't know if you're seeing a doe, you don't know if you're seeing nothing. Or you don't know if you, a two hundred deer is gonna inch deer is gonna come over yeah, or a bear or whatever. New Jersey, it, it, anything anything's possible. Like I've seen some of the wildest things happen, and it's that you would never see if you were just sitting at home doing nothing, or even doing something that had nothing to do with with hunting. You know, at the end of the day, like nature is truly like just one of a kind. It, it, it's absolutely breathtaking. Um, Something I really want to talk about real quick, um, your moose hunt, you know, go, go over your moose hunt, moose hunt. Um, where was it, you know, your experience in that moose hunt? Yeah. So this is a really good one. Um, and, and I'm not going to sit here and act like I shot a giant bull moose, uh, in a crazy area or anything like that. Still was a crazy area. It just wasn't a giant bull moose. So I'm friends. And, and, and this is part of the hunting and fishing industry is you just are friends with older people. You're friends with people that you would never normally be friends with. I am now friends with this uh, older couple from uh, Wellington, Maine, for probably about 10 years now. And they're in their 70s. And every once in a while, Tony will call me up. Hey, what's going on, Andrew? How are you? I'm good. What's going on? Hey, we got this crazy trip going on. You want to come up and help out with it? And I, I was like, hey, listen, I, I really don't think I can swing this. It's that it was either the end of September or the end. It was the end of September, going back two years ago, and he calls me up and he says, hey, listen, um, he calls me at the beginning of September, like a month prior, and says, hey, at the end of September, I have this moose hunt coming up. I just got screwed by one of my friends who's not going to be able to come out and help me. I really need help, and I'm not going to be able to do this hunt if I don't have somebody else. Do you think that you can come up and help me and my wife with this hunt? I said, of course. So he starts to give me the details. He's, like I said, he's mid-70s. He can't really get out of the truck and go walk a mile into the woods to go grab a, a moose and drag it out of the woods. This is, I'm going to do the heavy lifting. Sheila's got the tag. Tony's behind the wheel. And I was fortunate enough to be brought in as a subcommittee. So what they do is you can get two people onto one permit. Um, this was an evasive moose hunt. So they're much more uh, lenient with the rules than if you were to go for a trophy hunt uh, with an invasive hunt they really are adaptive hunt they really want to get rid of the animals that are there and bring the population level down so they don't care how they do it if there's two people or if there's one person as long as that tag gets filled and not two tags get filled so long story short i head up to maine i'm in my brand new truck which Thank God I had a nice truck because it was a really tough drive. But let me let me real, real, real quick. Let me explain because this is the roads, the off roads in Maine are tough and they take a beating on your vehicle. And that is one thing I'll definitely like for, for a little bit of the backstory. It's not just like there's really not many paved roads. I mean, the further you go up less there's paved roads um i know i have an idea where you were i'm um, we're in Moosehead. 
um, Moosehead Lake. So it's, it's, I can't remember how, yeah. the distance, but you know, the more North you go in Maine, the worse the roads get. And I mean, they are even some brand spanking new trucks, take a beating <laughs> and pop tires. So you're like, you need to make sure you're bringing your, your equipment and, and everything like that. Right. So you're mentioning, uh, uh, Moosehead Lake, right? Um, so this is the Northwoods of Maine, which is just, you, you head up to, uh, I, th- I believe the town is Rockwood or, or, um, yeah, yeah Rockwood. Yeah. Right. So you, you head up to Rockwood, there's the big trading post there. And then you bang a left down this, this road that just goes from a paved road. Okay. So yeah. Road. Yeah. Right. So you bang this left onto this dirt road. As soon as you get onto this dirt road, it is dirt for four hours. Now I have no idea where I've gone from Wellington, Maine for four hours to get to this entrance of this dirt road. And the second that I get to this entrance of this dirt road, there's no cell service, there's no nothing. It's all uh, shale and gravel. And I'm just following a dust cloud in front of me. I can't even see the truck that's in front of me. I'm just following a dust cloud. So I'm driving, maybe an hour goes by and all of a sudden we make a turn, we make a right. I'm like, okay, whatever road this is, all right. An hour later, bangs the left, okay. An hour later, bangs another right. And all of a sudden, half hour later, we're there. You would never, ever, ever be able to walk out of there. You would never be able to drive out of there if you didn't know where you're going. But luckily with these old timers, they knew exactly where they were going. They knew where they were going to hunt, um, everything like that. So we get up there. There's already a small trailer that we're going to be sleeping in for a couple of nights. And then I brought a trailer up there with just equipment on it, coolers, ice, you know, the full gamut of things that you need for uh, a successful moose hunt. So got camp set up, did our thing. And the plan was next morning, we're going to wake up early, we're going to get into the truck, and we're going to go drive to a specific area about an hour further away. And we're going to work these logging roads for the areas that get logged. Now, what happens is the forest up in Maine is extremely dense, extremely thick. You can't even walk into it in most spots. Um, you would think like, oh, I can I can get to the middle of the woods. No, you can't. Like, there's just so many like the the red whip trees and other bushes and branches that are just you just cannot walk through it in, in most areas. So we drive down these abandoned dirt roads and eventually get to an area that got freshly clear cut a few days, few weeks, few months before, and now there's all fresh growth starting in those areas. And that's where the moose are engorging themselves with food. They are absolutely going nuts, eating everything that they can, getting prepared for the wintertime. Well, we got up to that area and uh, there there was some other stuff that happened, but I'm not going to mention that. We got there perfectly for sunrise and we start down this road and we're going down a clear cut, past another clear cut. And we're just working different roads. There's a lot of people up there, as in if you see somebody at the entrance of a road, you kind of just let them take that whole road. I mean, that road could go for hours and hours towards Canada and you just let them have it. That's their hunting spot. They got here first. Let's go to this other road. So we went to this other road and uh, Tony's like, hey, Andrew, look over there. What what is that? Ah, it's just a big giant down tree. And I'm not even kidding. That down tree's ear started moving and head moved, and I lost it. I totally lost it to the point that this old guy had to say to me, calm the fuck down, kid. Settle down. 
get ready. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Just tell me what to do. I'm shaking. I haven't even gotten out of the truck yet. The gun's not even loaded, ready to go. Like I'm freaking out. I get out. Sheila gets out. We're just trying to figure out what to do. Like I've never done this. I was thinking that they were just going to kind of like take over and say, Hey, Andrew, come on, walk over here, stand here. All right. Put, put the gun up, get ready. I, I was in full blackout mode. I didn't, I didn't know which direction was up. So I was just waiting for them to to tell me what to do. If now that I know what to do, I could have just done it on my own and, and gone for it, but it's their tag, it's their permit, it's their hunt. I don't want to take things over. Um, so they kind of, we got up to the edge just off the road, maybe like five, 10 feet off of the road. And I got a decent, clear view of this animal. Sheila was, I think was having a little bit of a tough time. Cause like I said, they're a little bit older, you know, like it's not like you can just run over, jump onto a tree, grab a tree and go do what you need to do. You know, they're hunting with, uh, uh, poles by uh, tripod poles and stuff like that so they threw a pair at me and they're like hey do you got it in your sights and I'm just like yeah now the hardest part comes making sure it's not a bull moose that is probably the most stressful part of this entire hunt we are a cow only permit for this entire adaptive hunt there are no bulls that are allowed to be shot they told us when we got in there that a bull moose was found a day prior in a field and that they're searching for the person they're searching for the people that killed that animal I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the New Jersey guy that comes up to Maine and, and starts a problem. So I'm doing everything in my power to make sure that that's a, a cow. At one point, I'm like, oh, that looks like even just a spike on each side. I'm like, I, I don't know. I can't pull the trigger. Ten minutes later, I pull the trigger. Moose goes down this, like a sack of potatoes. And uh, we start high five and we're all excited. We're you know happy that we just finally harvested a moose and it's only a couple hundred yards from the from the road so it should be relatively easy to get out um we throw the guns in the truck tony takes the truck he says i'm gonna head back i'm gonna go grab the trailer and the equipment and i'll be back in a little while you know you're talking that could be two three hours so me and sheila we throw our bags on we head over to the moose we got to process the moose get it gutted get it cleaned out and then you know start the process well Unfortunately, we got over there and the moose was still alive. The moose, I just completely spined it. I hit it high, um, right behind the shoulder, but just high. And there was a second moose that stayed within 20 yards and just would not leave. And we're just like, oh, crap. Like, this could be a really bad, you know, thing that's happening. She doesn't have a pistol on her. I had my pistol on me, luckily. And uh, luckily, that, that bigger moose ended up moving off and we we finished up with the with the moose that I had shot, had to, you know, put it out of its misery. It's unfortunate. It's part of hunting. And that's that's one of the most like deep parts of hunting that gets people either really interested or not interested at all and gets them out of the sport is when you hit an animal and it's quote unquote suffering. This animal did not suffer for more than a few minutes at all, which is a really great death considering the alternative when you're a moose is getting eaten by like a big bear or a pack of wolves or something like that, and you're just miserable. So um, got this moose all taken care of, cleaned it up, got it out to the road and put it onto the trailer and drove it out. And that was like a 400 pound calf. That was a two year old calf and it was 400 pounds. And I was so happy with the animal. Uh, Sheila and Tony, super excited. We drank our asses off that night, I'm sure. Had a great time by the bonfire and got that moose out of there huge process getting the moose out of the north woods of maine because it's just so much dirt road travel like you said 
Um, and what I found really interesting about the whole process is at the end, we brought it to get processed by somebody. So we brought it to a butcher shop. Um, this butcher shop was run by Amish people and they were so amazing. They knew exactly what they were doing. It was a family from Kentucky moved up to Maine and uh, they had processed probably thousands of deer by the time they moved up to Maine. So they know they know what they're doing. Well, the dad of the family comes out. He's talking to us, having a good interaction with us, understanding what we need from the moose and, and things like that. And uh, he calls his daughter out. His daughter is this beautiful girl. She's maybe like 16, 17 years old with a dress on, right? So she looks like she's going to a prom. She goes into the shop, grabs a knife, comes back out, and just starts working this moose up in a full dress, in a full dress. And I was so impressed with how they operate as a family, as a, as a society, like as a, like a culture around there to just be so into what you do. This is part of life. It's part of life to pick up a knife and do the dirty work that you have to do, whether you're the wife of the family, the daughter, the husband, the son, or whatever. Compare that to Midtown Manhattan, working on a job, nobody there is connected to anything. And that's what I really love about this community is just how connected people are to the earth. And uh, that was my moose hunt. It was a really great hunt. And I really appreciated the people that I met, the process of going up there, the types of people that are up there, family, it was all about family, those hunts. Everybody in the family puts in for those tags for years and years and years. And finally you draw a tag your whole family's going out, including grandma and grandpa. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a different world up there. I mean, and that's truly amazing. I, I really didn't know there. I mean, I kind I should have figured that there's a bunch there. There's Amish people in there, but they know the nitty gritty. Like they know how to everything that they do in life is basically by how they used to do it back way in the day, you know, from probably having cows to, to milking goats and stuff like that, like making their own mm -hmm. cheese and everything. So like, it doesn't matter who you are in the family. Everyone has a job to do and, and they're going to get that job job done. Um, absolutely amazing story. I mean, I, I know what it's like being up there. Um, so I am, we're, just the town and the Indian training post that, that I know is probably roughly about an hour away from, from where you were, um, where our lake house is now, it's probably like, I think I would say like another hour. So probably like two hours away. Um, and like you said, more north, the more, the closer you get to Canada and everything like that. It's like, it's a whole different world where thickness is just not, Yeah, you want to talk about thick, like you're, those moose disappear. And it's crazy because, oh, yeah. like, I remember growing up, like, you have to focus on clear cuts and everything like that, like, um, and open spots because you can't, so difficult to navigate in that thick, thick stuff. Um, my cousin just killed last year a 10-pointer from, from Moosehead, just under 200, I think 190-something. But that right. was his first buck, first buck in Maine, yeah. and he grew, you know, he grew up in Maine, right? Um, that just tells you how, how difficult the hunting is in maine um right i think we're going to be heading up there in, in november and andrew's like uh we got to take a look at the laws because i know it's way different than here you know bow hunting is not like it is here they they started to open up bow hunting but gun hunting is still like the 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 main uh, thing and, you know they're yeah and you don't hunt nearly as much as you do here and stuff like that so we're, we're looking at things um but 
I told him, I was like, man, don't think it's as easy as you think. You know, it's this That's is a, this is no joke of uh, of hunting. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's tough. I feel like the further you get into the Northeast, the harder it gets. Um, you know, yeah. even just from South Jersey to North Jersey, I mean, there's a, a, a level of difficulty that goes up as you go further north. And, you know, I haven't hunted too much of New York State, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Maine. I haven't do, done too much hunting in other states in general, so I can't speak totally about it. But from what I know, from what I talk to these people about, it is that much more difficult to get these deer, but when you get them, it's that much more of a prize. You're talking about a deer here that would normally be 150 is to almost 210, you know? You're talking about these big body deer, these deer that you cannot even imagine dragging out of the woods and the amount of woods that you have to go through. I, yeah. <laughs> I love this one guy that I, I follow on uh, social media. I forget his name, but it's like big, like big woods bucks or something like that. And these guys, all they do is gun hunt, muzzleloader or rifle, and they walk and walk and walk and walk. And they find a track on the ground and they say, this track is a big buck. I'm going to follow this track for as long as it takes to get this deer. They'll be on that track for days. They won't be on that track for a day. They'll be on that track for several days, if not a week, before they get that deer. I don't know if they sleep out there. I don't know if they go home and then go back to the last spot that they had those tracks. But these guys are getting some amazing deer, and all of them are over 200 pounds. You're talking like Saskatchewan-looking deer, these massive body deer with big, dark antlers and stuff like that. It's just a totally different animal than we're used to here. And that's to be said about the rest of the country, you know. One one area you go and hunt has amazing uh, deer population with big deer. Another place you go has a small deer population with big deer. Another deer, po- another place you go has a slow, low population with tiny deer. Uh, it's just kind of like par for the course in hunting and hunting different states. And I heard you say you were planning on trying to get out to the Midwest at some point. And I was planning on doing a Midwest hunt this year. I was going to go out to minnesota or wisconsin and hunt there at the end of september um while i'm out visiting my sister in montana but we just talked about it me and my fiance we have a free flight voucher so i think i'm gonna forego my hunting just to fly out to montana and enjoy it and then i'll go sometime in october to like somewhere within 10 hour 12 hour drive of where we are just so that i can do it and not have to do a 30 hour it's a 30 hour drive to go hunting someplace someplace it's really not feasible. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's difficult. It's difficult and expensive too, because if you, you drive, it's going to be a little cheaper. But like anyone doing, like if you fly out, like you have to pay for the flight. Then you know where it, 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 it is. It, it's 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 difficult, and you know we we're running a lot of gear, you know. And if you're filming, you're running even more gear, and you know it's it, it goes yeah. back to what we're talking about when you're when you're doing this to make content and stuff like that, like it just becomes a lot because then you got to bring your laptops then you get you know you got to bring your cameras with mm-hmm. batteries and you know stuff like that and then you got to bring your hunting gear and you know if you're a mobile hunter you got to bring your mobile setup you know it, and it, it, it depends it varies like if you're going to private and outfitter then you're paying the outfitter and you're you have to drop a lot of money on that if you're doing a public you need all especially you need all your gear if you're you're doing a public land hunt so there's pros and cons to both, you know, 
the expenses vary, but at the end of the day, regardless of whatever, you're you got to to shell out some money for you know these bigger out of state hunts. If you're on from the East Coast, or if you're on from the West Coast, going to the Midwest, or wherever you are, you know it it takes some planning as well. Yeah, lots of planning, lots of money, and uh, just trusting, trusting yourself, trusting your body. Like as hunters, there's nobody else that's going to be out there that's going to help you um, when the time comes. You know, you're you're out just for say a mile, two miles out in the woods, and you go and you finally shot a deer. It's, you know, six o'clock in the evening. It's about to be dark. You don't even have enough time to get down and check the bloodline before the blood trail, before it gets dark completely. You shoot out a quick text message to your wife, or your friend. Hey, got a deer. I'm going to be tracking it for a little while. You're not home at seven o'clock. You're home at 11 o'clock. You're home at midnight. You're home at one, two o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning. And you know who you have to thank? You and yourself. Nobody else. It's not that, you know... Yeah, maybe you had your friend drive out there to help you out. Maybe your dad was available and he was able to help you out. A lot of people don't have that. And especially when you're an hour, hour and 15 minutes away, an hour walk into the woods, you're not willing to call somebody to go out to the road to meet them. You know, you're just going to you're going to take care of what you need to take care of and do what you need to do as a damn man. Like you just manhandle that thing. You get the hell out of the woods and you go home so you can sleep in the bed with your wife, with your family around and everything like that you just do what you have to do that's one of the hardest things by the way i don't know if you have this i don't know if you have a wife and you're married and all this stuff but the hardest thing for me is when i wake up day after day after day and have to get out of bed when it's warm as hell my fiance is there i i'm like looking at the clock i'm like it's 1 30 it's 2 it's 2 30 in the morning i gotta drive an hour and then i gotta hike up that damn mountain and then on top of it new jersey doesn't know how to control its black bear population and i gotta think about that the whole time not that i'm worried about getting attacked by a bear but you know how it is you're walking through a pitch black forest at night and your mind, you know, runs away with it for a little while. Yeah, it's your mind's gonna wander regardless. But I, I, I definitely agree. Those, it, it's, it takes a lot of mental toughness doing what we do, you know. And you do have to be in good shape. Don't get me wrong, you know. But you, can, you can get away with it, you know. And stuff. It depends on what type of hunting style you're right. you're adopting. But the the mental. Because at the end of the day, you're in those woods sometimes, most of the time alone, you know, and at the end of the day, your, your, your mind is going to wander to the what if and like, oh, my God, if, you know, what if I get, you know, I've gotten lost before too and turned around and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, so there, there's, there's always this what if, but like the mental, the mental grind of, of deer season is, is a lot. And, you know, that those bears are, you know, we're not worried. Yeah. You're not worried about getting attacked by a bear, but yet yet again, it's not what if it's like, we have so many damn bears that like, it's always going to be a, a what if, and that's a North, North central, North, North Jersey problem. Really? Um, yeah. I don't know what, what zone you hunt all the time. Um, but I think you said you got a bear last season. Yeah, yeah, but I, that was off our private piece up in um, that was up in Blairstown on our private piece. Okay, um, cool. I, I'll be I'll out this this weekend figuring out what I'm doing for for bear season. I think the I'm looking at the maps now and I'm trying to get a bear spot. Um, you know, and, and it's when you're in the north, it's not hard to get a bear spot. Like you can put you know whatever down, and bears are going to come. 
you know, but I like to designate, you know, a, a strictly bare spot um, that will get the donuts and everything like that and, and, and all the goodies and then work, work around, work around that. Um, but it's, it's a grind because now we have to maintain, you know, deer season. And then also bear, are you hunting bear this year? I am so excited. It is unreal how excited I am to go out bear hunting in October. They finally listened. They finally did something smart, man. They finally did it. They have been putting the bear season in, De- in December for, you know, for the entire time that New Jersey has had a bear season. Um, I don't remember if they ever had a, an earlier fall bow season for bear. We, we, so we did. So we did for, I want to say two years. Um, this was back in Murphy's first term. So the first, oh, damn, I can't, I, I wish I can remember. Um, I think they opened it up where it was archery, but I think it was already at private only at that time. I don't think we can hunt state land. I, I believe right. it was private only. Yet again, don't quote me people. I, I can't really remember it at this point. Um, but we did have it for two, two seasons where I, we bow hunted bears. Yeah, we bow hunted bears twice, and then they got rid of it completely. Mm-hmm. And then last year they opened it up um, as an emergency. Thing. Yeah, opened it up gun only. Um, and then now this year and the next four years, hopefully, um, it will be open up yeah. in bow in October and then a gun season in December like the normal. For real, they, they need to keep this going. And if for whoever is listening that doesn't, necessarily know directly about the bear population in new jersey it is it has exploded tremendously uh to unsafe levels not just for uh you know people residents kids things like that but for the bears like it is too much for the bears to be around that many other bears you know you're gonna have small 20 pound 30 pound cubs getting ripped in half by a boar because they need to make sure that there are not as many bears in the area so that they can be successful that season they Mm -hmm. are not going to be worried about the fact that that's a a little uh you know cub they are going to do what they need to do naturally to thin out their own population so if they're going to do it we should be stepping in to harvest those animals so that we can enjoy them as well and give them the you know the respect that they deserve not just to get ripped apart and left out in the woods um for dead um, the bear season was so needed last year from the time that I started hunting when I was like around 13 until I was about 23. Let's just use that for a 10 year of time. I saw maybe over the course of 10 years, like five bears. Yeah. And then over the past five years, um, for the three years, for the first three years, um, it, I probably saw, you know, 10 bears in those three years. And over the last two years, I have seen un godly numbers of bears last year was well over 100 bears i was seeing over a dozen bears a day every single day i was seeing at the least i was seeing one bear two three four five bears every single sit no matter where i was in any of my spots that i hunt like it was just unreal they they're way overpopulated you know the deer movement was uh contingent on what the bear were doing that day it wasn't contingent on the wind it wasn't it was about the bears and what they were doing um it got to a point of being unsafe in the woods it really did um i have a video out where i i wasn't worried about the camera 
And that was maybe part of not getting the intensity of the scene. But I just pointed the camera straight down. There was a mom at the bottom of the I didn't even know that she was there underneath me, like directly underneath my feet. I didn't know that she was there until she was in my backpack at the bottom of my tree stand. And now I do not hunt with snacks. I don't bring lunch. I don't bring anything only because of bears. Prior to that, I was bringing out freaking sandwiches, donuts, you name yeah. it. I was bringing it out into the woods because I needed to have an enjoyable hunt. I couldn't even do that last year. I couldn't bring a granola bar into the woods because I was going to attract a bear directly to my tree. And they aren't the types of bears that are normal, where if you see them and they see you, they run away. These are bears that are not concerned with your presence and actually are curious rather than um, scared. And that's not good. That is really bad for the bears themselves as well as the rest of the population here in New Jersey, especially when it's growing at like 200% a year. Um, we needed to make sure that we needed to take care of that. And here's one more thing I wanted to mention on the bears was the fact that residents who don't know a damn thing about bears, about the population, about conservation, about anything to do with hunting and keeping a stable population in the state, get to make those fucking laws. It is so aggravating to sit back and just hear that Murphy won governor again and is going to take bear hunting off of the map just because of the people that voted for him want that to be put into place. It's not that the people that voted for him know that it's needed or that it's actually needed. They just want it. So what they want, they get. And that's not fair. It's not fair to the population of people who do hunt. It's not fair to the population of animals here. And uh, I'm so happy to see that they actually put forward a bear hunt for the season already and said it's going to be in October. And they said another one is going to be in December. That one in October, I'm going to be on Facebook Live, Instagram Live, YouTube Live, any live that you could possibly find me on. First morning, first morning, catch me. Like it, it's going to happen. I'm not going to bait. There's not going to be a single drop of corn, a single scent, nothing within 100 miles of me. I guarantee that there are bears all over me that first day that's just how it's been I'm, I'm i'm very excited to to see this too as well and and your experience and hopefully to to get one down on the ground um it, it's been something that's a long time coming I, every word that you said is i completely agree with we we've talked about countless times on this podcast and everything like that like it's a it's a need at this point. And, you know, they've been letting the wrong people make the decisions and still to technically to this day, it's still a management program. You know, the biggest mm -hmm. thing that they need to work on is making it become a game animal in New Jersey so that we have an actual regulated season every year. Then the day I'm, I'm not going to be picky, but the season does need to be longer, but listen, I'm happy for what we got. So I'm not going to like, Oh my God about that. And in the, in the future, that is something that like I would like for it to come up of making it a game animal and increasing the season. And, you know, even at the end of the tags, as much as I love spending two dollars, but our state does other stupid stuff where they penalize people for the wrong thing, you know, and for very like dumb things um, that are confusing, like tagging 
like tagging the deer, right? And I, and I get it. We we tag it online, and then you have to fill it out in the Greenpeace paper. Then you have to have a transport paper and everything like that. Like, or it's easier to know because like that that's just something that we know. But if you're someone who's coming out of state, or you're a new hunter, or something like that, if you don't know that, you don't know. And then if you're by you don't fill out one of those things. Right. And most likely you're going to fill out it online and think, OK, cool. It's filled out online. I got the confirmation ID number like everything's good. If you don't know and you get hit with a, a ticket. You have to pay a fine and potentially of suspending your license or, right. you know, there, there's so many laws. And situations turn people off to hunting, you know, just because of how strict they are. And I yeah. get it. I, I'm completely. But. There are certain things where it could be used as an educational standpoint. Now, if you're poaching and stuff like that, throw the books to them. I really oh, do yeah. think like, you know, right. Right. So, but if, if you make the bear, even, you know, if you, if I, there's a, Hey, listen, you're a resident. So now you're going to have to pay 35 or $50 for a bear tag. Hell, I'm still paying 35, oh, yeah. 50, but if you're out of, if you're an out of stater, should it be a hundred to two hundred? Yeah, probably, probably because you you look at it, it, it would. Because if I go to another state to hunt an animal, look how much money I'm I'm paying. You know what I mean? Make it at least profitable, so you're not killing us with with other stuff that are that are ridiculous. You know, it, it's it, it's the, the, there's a lot that they need to work on, and the part of it is because, like you said, you have people who are non hunters making these decisions and on the game council for what reason that that makes no sense whatsoever how are you going to have hunting and fishing like and you don't listen to the biologists you don't listen to the people who do this for a living you don't listen to them but you want to just just because it's your agenda and that's what you want to do but you know it's ridiculous but you know happy it's back i'm so pumped just like you i was shaking when it came back because yeah. i you know the adrenaline rush bow hunting bears is you want to talk and listen i don't care big buck you, you get one don't get me wrong but an animal that can easily kill you too <laughs> and they're so big and so powerful and so majestic and so Bears are just, I love them. I love them half the time. I do want to jump out of the stand and give them a big goddamn hug because they look so fluffy and, and like their, their fur is so soft and I I love it. Right. It's everything about bears. I I like, I love it. Like I am obsessed with bow hunting bears and you know, it's last year I killed my, my bear. Um, you know, and I, I talked about a lot, like it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big bear, but it was a, like it was a management bear. I could not, go into that, leave that hunt, not shooting a bear that was of legal limit because that's how serious of a problem that we have. Oh, it's so bad. So one of the things I just wanted to mention this about last season's bear hunt, and it really upset me. And it has to do with the fact that, you know, these people that follow Murphy that wanted to have these laws in place who got rid of bear hunting from the first place, the PETAs or whatever you want to call them, they are strategic they know what the hell they're doing i'm telling you they really know what they're doing um and it upsets me it really does uh and i almost don't want to talk about it because i don't want to give them fuel to be able to say oh hey we did a really great job we got to this guy let's make sure we keep on doing this right i don't want to give them any fuel but what they did last year was so smart i i can't like i applaud 
a great move by an opponent kind of a thing. Um, Bear Hunt was scheduled just per se first week of December. And that week of December was still relatively warm weather. And up until that week, I had been seeing bears every single day, every single hunt, no matter what. Well, they decided to protest a day or two before, postponing the hunt for an additional week, right? Once it got pushed back an additional week, the temps dropped dramatically, dramatically. You're talking like a 20-degree swing in temperatures over the course of a week. It was going from the, the overnight lows in the 40s to the overnight lows in the 20s that week in December last year. So what that did was that got every single bear that was in the area denned up. They all decided to start working on hibernating for the year. So you had bears that were normally traveling a mile, two miles a day that were not traveling 100 yards in a day. So all these PETA people stopped the hunt. And if you looked at the numbers and how they went up this past bear hunt, they did not go up very quickly at all. First four days, I think we had 46 bears or 64 bears shot in those first couple of days. And that was just the weekdays, right? The weekend is supposed to be when the best hunting was going to happen. The most numbers were going to come out. Well, think about this. It's the number. Wait, our state, New Jersey, has some of the best bear hunting. It's a premier bear hunting location, if you could believe that. If you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, he talks about bear hunting in New Jersey all the time. Bears in New Jersey. Some of the record bears, have, black bears, have been harvested in New Jersey. You're talking 800 pound, close to a thousand pound animal with skulls that are record size. Um, so you had people, out of staters, definitely planning hunts, definitely saying, hey, dude, they just planned a bear hunt for New Jersey in a month. Do you guys want to buy plane tickets and fly out to Jersey and go hunt there? Of course, let's do it. Let's all take off of work. You have a group of five guys. You have a group of hundreds to five guys coming into New Jersey that are going to be putting money towards our system to hunt. They postpone the hunt. Those guys are screwed. They can't go bear hunting. So they end up just going deer hunting and not, you know, putting in towards the bear. They did a really good job, PETA, in, in stopping the bear hunt last year. They did. Even though we had the bear hunt last year, they stopped it. They proverbially stopped it. I we we've talked about this, so I have been yeah. saying that from the beginning. But and even when they pushed it forward to begin with, a lot of us said, "Watch what happens." Their lawyers, everything that they do, everything was calculated. They knew that was going to happen, and like you said, we were having bears out the wazoo everywhere. Even that opening day of six day, I'm pretty sure all of us would have killed a bear that day. Right. Or at least not same, all of us. Same, I think same. at least 75 percent of us would have killed a bear, which is a extraordinary number. Right. Then I think it was the next day or whenever the day actually opened, it didn't open until two or three o'clock. They didn't make the announcement in the afternoon. It was right. pouring rain. We were on our way to the to hunt deer when we got the announcement, right? So there was limited to what we could do. Then the actual first day, and I, I think I talked about this on the bear episode that we did, but for everyone who's new listening, it was just got done raining. The fog was terrible. I remember you couldn't see really 
and all your preparation that you did before for bear season, everyone stopped their preparation because it was like, why am I going to do all this when we potentially might not even have a, a bear hunt? And a lot of people I talked to, they put in vacation days and everything, and they actually went back on it and said, you know what? There's, there's probably not going to be a bear hunt or it's going to be a half-assed bear hunt or whatever the case is. So they, they ended up going back to work. They didn't spend the money of the preparation that they were doing before because look at what they did. Look at it was calculated, which affected the deer number, uh, the bear number. When I brought that bear in, I think I was the second or third person. And that was on the Saturday. So that was the end of the first week. And they had to extend it the next week because of the numbers were so low. But they're like, yeah, this is. And I was like, listen, I'm not blaming you guys at all because it has nothing to do with you guys. I go. But and I just like I said here, I go. If it would have been open, you opening day, you guys would have would have killed it. Right. And even the next the following week, it didn't. The number didn't do well. I think the numbers were in like somewhere in the 60s or, or 80s for actually right. like the total was so low. It's because and of the weather. A lot of that was because of the weather, man. The weather was terrible. But also what you said, the largest big jersey killed was 829 pounds, right? Just shy of a thousand. I imagine it was field dressed at that point. So like it probably was close to that thousand marker. Right. And it is the <laughs> one of the, the the hunter was Bruce Healy. Um, so it actually was um, one of the largest bears ever to come across in North America. Let's see what the, the size is for. Yeah. And a lot of these world record uh, bears that you're about to look up or you're about to see are actually found dead already. So a lot of these skulls, so it's they're they're going about the skull size. A lot of them, uh, weight is totally different. That's for hunting hunting deer or hunting bears and stuff. But the skull size is what you're going to find. A lot of your like Wikipedia searches, largest bear ever found in New Jersey or largest bear found in North America. You know, skull sizes from things that were found dead. Um, it's just crazy, man. They're they're giant, massive creatures. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Let's see the biggest i don't know if there's a weight uh they don't give an exact weight let me look for a different um dude did you see that video and this is really close to zone six where i hunt it might have been in zone six of those two bears they were probably both of them were over three maybe over 400 pounds crawling on the person's front lawn come on that is that's raw right there yeah no it's it's crazy i but it's it's unbelievable. It really is. Like, and it's like you said, New Jersey is such a mecca for for black bear hunting. You know, um, and a big part of it is because of Could we be. let our our population grow. If they would just advertise it, you know, and I get it. You know, it's difficult to advertise something when you do have the anti hunters breathing down your neck, and you know, we're such a liberal state to begin yeah. with. But it would really make the state a lot of money and turn a lot of things around as a hunting like it, it's it's crazy so the largest black bear in history was killed in new brunswick this bear weighed this bear weighed 1100 pounds before dressing and an estimated 902 wow. pounds after and so that bear seven, just shot last year was pretty much the same size as the world record black bear ever yeah 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 um 
And it says the the biggest bears to ever for black bear are from between that 800 to 899 pound um, spot. So um, we have yeah, I mean, Tubbs, and he's over 600 pounds, and he's going to be there again this year. I don't think anybody got him. I, at least I don't think anybody got him. I don't really care about the size. Like I just really want to get a bear. I want to get maybe one for me and one for my buddy Dylan. We're, we hunt together. That's the, that's our little group. And uh, I'm getting my fiance her license this year. I'm really looking forward to that so that she can get her bow hunting license. And you know, she comes out with me a handful of times a year. Let her hold on to the bow. Let her take the shot. You know that sort of thing. And yeah. uh, if we can get one or two. Uh, bears between us I would be ecstatic you know just to have just have one you know I, I don't need a lot I'm not here because I want to have 600 pounds of bear meat in my freezer I want to have like 100 pounds <laughs> you know I want to have like yeah, a good yeah. amount go through it for people who don't know uh, bear is not exactly uh, as good to eat as as widely sought after as venison is venison is extremely good meat amazing quality low fat content super lean uh versus bear is known as not being as uh tasty of an animal and the main reason why is because of the temperature you need to cook it at you need to cook it over a certain temperature to make sure that you kill off any bacteria and diseases such as trichinosis trichinosis uh is a really bad disease that's found in anything that kind of roots in the ground such as pork uh pigs obviously um almost you know bobcats anything like that but it's mainly mainly in pork and and bears and stuff like mm -hmm. that um but like listen everyone almost everyone i know loves bear and it's so like to me it's like candy Honestly, I, I tell people <laughs> like the bear that, you know, I love it. It has a sweet, sweet taste. And yet again, it depends on what the bear is eating and stuff like that. I'm a huge believer in that. Um, but like almost I'd say probably like 90, 95 percent of the people that I talk to love bear. Love it. Um, you can use the fat to cook with and, and stuff like that. Listen, I plan on having a, a bear blanket at some point. I told, I told my girlfriend, yeah. I go, listen, I, I, I'm waiting for my rug. My, hopefully my rug will be done, done soon. Um, this next, I hope I get a bear this year. I would like either a blanket or, I mean, if it, if it's a giant, which I'm not yet again, I'm not <laughs> looking for a giant, yeah. but if it does happen, then I'm, I want a, a full body mount. Um, that I want to 3D be or or flat. Uh, I I haven't decided yet. That will I'll have to toss a tax it there. That's the price. That's but, the price. Yeah, 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 right. Um, but like my, I, I want Andrew at his house, at his dad's house. You walk in and there's this massive bear, full like just right in the front, and I was like. That's what I want. I want to like someone walk into my house. Like the first thing they say is, is that bear. But I would only be saving that for like a, a absolute behemoth of a bear. Everything else, you know, I'm either going to get a a coat made or, you know, a half mat, something like that. Like, but I love the fur. I, I'm a huge fur person when it comes to bears, foxes, coyotes, like, you know, bobcat we can't hunt bobcat but we do have bobcats and everything like oh, that yeah, so they're back, baby they're back I love oh them. i i see them every every year on the camera and it, it, it's a ventral thing 
then it, it's that's going to be next. You know, um, I know the reason why they haven't is because the numbers in southern Jersey haven't hit. Um, and I heard that they were going to capture some from North Jersey because the North Jersey population is doing actually very well now and move it down to to south. That That's what I heard. It's a it's a rumor. I, I don't know if that's actual, you know, situation, but those are the numbers are. The numbers are looking good up in up in North yeah. Jersey for sure. I see them. I see them all the time now. I probably saw half dozen to a dozen this past year, and that's great. I mean, lifetime, my dad's seen maybe one. Lifetime, my uncle, who's been hunting for 25 years, never seen one. You know, like you're talking about people who have never seen one their whole life, and then I go and I see a half dozen in a season. That's good. Um, it's a lot about the specific spot you hunt to. There's just a small population yeah. in the spot you hunt. Yeah. Things like that. Definitely. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to move to our um, little segment that we do. We're going to do kind of the rapid questions and stuff like okay. that. We're, we There's so much that we, we need to get on. Like it, it was really amazing. Um, we we got a whole lot of fishing stuff. We're, we're going to have to do that all next time. Oh, we're, yeah. we're getting to the marker. Um, Didn't even get but, the ice fishing stuff going. So definitely a whole ice fishing day. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, but the first question that we always ask and we've been keeping count is, you know, you have two weeks. What is your dream hunt? It's two week trip. You can go anywhere in the world, um, hunt any animal. Money is not an option. What would you pick and where? Um, so one of my dream hunts is a sheep. I would love to get into some high elevation and really push my body and push a push a long shot, you know, things like that with, uh, with a bow or with a muzzleloader. I don't really care to hunt with a rifle as much. A muzzleloader just seems like a way harder challenge than a lot of other things. So my dream hunts revolve around muzzleloaders and, uh, bows. I would also really love, uh, a bull elk hunt that has slowly fallen off my list a little bit because it's not mm. as, um, elite as it used to be like it used to be very few people did because everyone's doing it yeah everyone's doing everybody's it now, yeah. doing it now everybody so i'm like a little bit like oh, maybe i don't need to do that hunt I, I i think the the problem and elk is amazing you know and it is right. one of those things like but it's Basically. out of all the big game right when you're talking about elk moose sheep grizzly um caribou the easiest achievable you know right. um you're gonna see the whether most animals you're gonna see the like most that. it's you don't have to travel nearly as far it's not nearly as expensive you know if, if you're doing a moose you're looking at alaska if you're doing grizzly you're looking at anywhere from alaska or you know <laughs> you could do you know yep. you you know um you're looking at caribou same thing you're, you're those are places that no man's land like very few people ever go all right and costs a lot it's you got to fly you basically have to fly then you have to you fly into anchorage and then you have to fly again and you get dropped you know so I, I think um i think elk has become that thing where it's like all right if we're, if we're doing like a big game you can go to colorado you can go to utah you can go to new mexico yeah it's still 
it's still tough and it's tough hunting beyond that mountain, but it's way more achievable than the rest of the big game. Like sheep, sheep is one of the hardest, you know, is by far one of the hardest to do. And that's why you have so few people doing it. Yeah. I think that's my answer. Sheep and uh, elk, but elk has fallen off a little bit from my yeah. list. Love it. Love it. Um, what is your favorite? If you only had one week of the season to hunt, one would it be? That you don't even have this. Don't, don't even, not even a question that needs to be asked. You already know. You know exactly what I'm going to say. It's that final three days of October and that first four days of November. I have shot a deer on the last week of October and the first week of November, like every year for friggin' years now. And I love it. It is just, if you're planning on taking a day off, take off November 4th and November 5th. If you're listening to this, this is your sign to take off this year on November 4th and or November 5th. If your job allows you to take both days, take both days. I love it. That's a good answer. It's yeah, that 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 end of October, early November, oh, man. It, it, it's, Dude, so, it's so great. Like vocalizing to deer, talking to deer and having mm-hmm. them do something you want them to do. They are the most batshit crazy that time of year. So you can get them to make a mistake so much easier than normal. Um, and they that that week you're walking into your stand and they are following you because they hear you walking into your stand. It is so cool, man. It is really cool. I agree. Um, Non-typical or typical whitetail? Um, I have a gnarly non-typical. I shot it actually, I harvested it the end of February, um, going back a bunch of years ago, almost 10 years ago. Um, Non-typical full velvet in February all broken off at the end of the rack, all nubbed up at the end of the rack, two drop times with splits. Um, I think I would really love to get a beautiful, typical buck, like at most to just have like a couple of stickers off of it. That's what I, that's what I stand by stickers. If we, if, if I shoot a deer that's got stickers, that's my next goal. That's like really where it takes it to the next level is where you get deer that just have yeah. a couple like small offshoots and stuff. A deer with drop times, like it, something could have happened. That deer could have had drop times two and a half years yeah. old. Doesn't need to be an old deer. Those stickers don't really show up until like four and a half, five and a half. I'd like that. Definitely. Definitely. If you were to get sponsored by one company right now, what would it be? What would you want it to be? Man, that is such a great question. Here's my first one Verb, Verb Energy. Okay. Oh, I I was gonna ask you at some point what your snack is, your go-to snack when you're in the woods. This is a and that, and that's that's usually my question. I haven't asked you. I was gonna ask you so that it's kind of a two. So we we just got two questions done. Is I was gonna ask you <laughs> what's your go-to tree stand or hunting snack. So the yeah. okay. Sure. They're called Verb Energy Bars. Um, it's a caffeinated energy bar. It has, each bar is small. It has one, is equal to one espresso. So it's like 65 milligrams of caffeine and a, and a granola bar. It is so good. It smells amazing. It tastes amazing. It's like <laughs> probably my favorite thing to eat when I'm in the tree stand. Um, if I had to go back to your last question and get sponsored by an actual hunting and fishing company, I well, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be an actual, okay. and you know, I, where people, it just has to contribute to some type. So that would actually contribute okay. to, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you answer the question because I've had people do 
truck, uh, a like ram or something like okay. that. I've had people get really like different with things because at the end of the day, like a truck would be great because look at all the driving yeah. we do. Look at you know, know, or a cell phone service for you know for the trail cameras or and stuff like that. I now, just, so I just want to get sponsored at this point. Like anybody who's willing to uh, get started with somebody who's has a little bit smaller of a following, has a little bit more of a niche following. My following is super strong in terms of my engagement rate. Um, there's a platform that you can use to check out your engagement rate to see if people actually are going to go through with your products and follow your videos and follow everything like that. My engagement rate is pretty high, so I'm happy about only having 400 followers, but out of those 400, my percent is like ridiculous compared to somebody with tens of thousands. Their percent is like two to five percent. Mine's like 20 to 30 percent. So like I have a really great engagement rate. I just want to have some follower, uh, some subscriber, uh, some I want to get sponsored by somebody at some point soon, just so I can get that ball rolling. I don't care if it's a friggin' verb energy bar, a soap brand, a spray, anything like that, just to like get that ball rolling. And that's probably the one of the most frustrating parts is getting that ball rolling. I had a couple opportunities with some small bait companies that just didn't end up turning out. Um, But other than that, you know, sky's the limit you want. Under Armour, you want PSE, you want Hoyt and Matthews, but Verb Energy is my my sponsor. Definitely, definitely. Um, what what bow you're shooting? What what's your go-to bow? Is it is it the Hoyt? Um, is Hoyt yes, brand your go? That's mine back there. That's um Hoyt. I think it's a Ventum V3 or something like that. Ventum or V3. I forget which one it is off the top of my yeah. head. It costs so much goddamn money. It's like the entire yeah, listen, month of salary type of thing, you know. I'm about to go. I just listen. You don't. You don't have to tell me. I got the RX5 last year, and it cost me a ridiculous amount of money. Um, I, oh uh, yeah, yeah. I see it. Trophy Ridge and everything like that. Yeah, I love the, it. The, the the Ventum 30. So I, the only reason why I put the Trophy Ridge on, I was doing a great hunt. I had an awesome site on there that I purchased with the bow, probably a couple hundred dollar site. And I had a buddy with me, like I said, I bring out people who don't hunt. I had a buddy with me who needed to sit on the side of the hill at like three o'clock in the morning and just catch his breath while we were going up the hill. And I'm not even kidding, a log, like a tree fell and took my bow down the hill. And it was a very, very steep hill. And my sight wound up snapping off right there on the side of the hill. Yeah, it was crazy. Just a tree fell out of nowhere and almost kills us, but takes my bow down the hill. Yeah, that's my that's my go-to. My go-to is that bow. Other one, I love my crossbow. It's it's very efficient, shoots very well. Um, and then my Thompson Center Triumph. Those are my three. Those are my go-to um, killing machines. Wow, that's that's incredible. All right, one one more because we're about to hit the 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 two-hour mark, and uh, it's a it's a long podcast here. Uh, But it's it's been it's been a phenomenal phenomenal time. are you a fixed or mechanical broadhead type of guy? What, what's your go-to broadhead? Fixed through and through. I love fixed broadheads. Um, I feel like there's a little bit less that can go wrong as compared to the mechanicals. Um, my two broadhead companies that I go for are Slick Trick and, believe it or not, the old school Thunderheads. Um, those old school Thunderheads just shred. If you have a bow that shoots those well, get those. If you don't, then figure it out and do what you need to do to get one that that flies right definitely love love, love it um 
Now, I want to thank you for, for coming on. Uh, we're, we're definitely going to have to get you back on. It was, it went like that. Um, yeah. I will, I'll, we'll be in contact and stuff like that. Um, well, I got a bunch of group stuff coming up and, and everything like that, where we're going to be doing group podcasts. I, we just recorded our first one went well. So I definitely on the next one, I will, I will reach out. Um, I'll probably be somewhere in first couple of weeks in the season. I think we're going to do another group one and then we'll do one during the rut and then we'll do one in the late to end and all these type of stuff. We got, we got events coming. So I definitely want you there um, and meet up in person and, and all these different things. But um, you know, it, it was a pleasure to have you get, on um go check them out the link is going to be in the description below to their instagram page to their youtube page go look check it out go support them they are making a some great stuff um got tons of stuff coming i really do appreciate their youtube videos everything like that they're short they're they're the short clips um on instagram whether you like hunting fishing it, they do it all you know legit do it all so go check them out and i hope you guys enjoy this episode